0: Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Springer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Through 29 years of military service and nearly two decades of leading a mission organization, Colonel Gary Nelson has learned the importance of serving where the Lord places him. Listen as Gary and Doug talk about the way God has accomplished his plans through Gary's life despite the obstacles he faced along the way. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug
1: Stringer. We are excited to have today Colonel Gary Nelson, retired from the United States Air Force. Colonel Nelson served in the United States Air Force for 29 years before retiring to lead GALCOM International, a mission organization primarily reaching oral learners. And I've got a lot to share about that and our first connection through that as well. While in the Air Force, he spent 24 years as a fighter pilot, including flying the F 4 Phantom flying aircraft in combat over Vietnam. He accumulated 5,200 hours of jet fighting, flying time, and for a time held the world record of 4,500 hours in the F-4 Phantom. He then commanded an F-16 fighter squadron and flew that aircraft. He also served as deputy base commander at MacDill Air Force Base after his tour as squadron commander. From 1984 through 1987 while stationed at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia, he was the chairman of the operations subcommittee for the multinational F-16 program with Air Force committee members from the USA, Netherlands, Belgium, Denmark, and Norway. In his capacity, he worked directly for the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force. From 1987 through 1990, he was the head of the Department of Aerospace Studies at MIT, and for a year, he also had a dual job as head of the Department of Aerospace Studies at Boston University. It was an unusual distinction of being a department head and on the faculty of both MIT and the Boston University at the same time. His last job in the Air Force was a faculty head at the Joint Forces Staff College in Norfolk, Virginia. No wonder your daughter, Jody, who's our (laughs) vice president, somebody cares, is so smart. In 1991, he separated from the Air Force and moved to Tampa, Florida to head a mission organization called Galcom International, which a close friend of his had started. This included building a tax-exempt charity organization from scratch. The ministry provides audio tools for t- reaching with the gospel, non-literate people or those who prefer to learn by hearing. He headed this ministry for 18 years and is still the corporate president. And during those years, Galcom sent audio tools for hearing the gospel to millions of people in over 160 countries. I can go on and on about all these things, and but I wanted to share something about Galcom real quick, is that I was first connected to Galcom, and Gary, I think we've talked about this probably back in the 80s or 90s. When when did Galcom first start? It started
2: in 1989.
1: Okay, so I was first introduced because I was on the founding, am on the founding board and still serve on uh, Love Botswana Outreaches in Botswana, Africa. And they presented to us during the board meeting that there was this great new tool that Galcom came out with and it was directional radio station that could go out to the bush and to the villages and to give a radio to all the different village chiefs. And the transmission would come from one station, and that would be from the station that they had using the Galcom equipment. So that was our first introduction. So I, when Jody and I started talking about it years ago, I thought, wait a minute, I know what Galcom is. And uh, and so it's so great to have you with us today. Well, Gary and Mary, we just again, thank you for your lives. Obviously, you have such a history of just service to our country, but also transitioning that into the service of the kingdom, even during that time, but also the service of the kingdom and so many lives have been impacted. Who knows how many untold millions of impacted lives there are with the gospel of of Jesus Christ because of your commitment to the service of the Lord, even beyond uh, leaving the Air Force in such a, a great position and also great influence. So thank you for being with us today, Gary.
2: Well, it's my pleasure. I look forward to
1: it. Tell us a little bit about your time serving during the Vietnam War and, of course, in the Air Force. And then we want to talk a little bit about your gospel journey. How did you get a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection throughout that time as well?
2: Well, actually, when I was flying in Vietnam, it was before our kind of dramatic conversion to the Lord. And uh, as I was reflecting on my time in, in Vietnam and and in the 24 years of flying fighter aircraft, uh, I recently heard a song, but it's been out for a year or two, it's called uh, The Goodness of God. Uh, all my life you've been so faithful, all my life you've been so, so good, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the mercies, the goodness of God. And as I was listening to that song by C.C. C. Winans recently, I thought of several instances where even though I wasn't hadn't yet committed my life to him, he was taking care of me and watching over me. Like Hebrews 1.14 says, God has ministering angels sent to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. And uh, I thought of many, many instances. One in particular came to my mind where I, I thought I was going to crash. I was on a mission in Vietnam, and one of our, our targets was actually a bridge across a river on the Ho Chi Minh trail. And it was down in a deep canyon and it was hard to see, it was smoky and uh, hazy that day. And we were circling and suddenly I, I saw it. And I thought, I can't take my eyes off it otherwise I may not see it again. So I rolled in a little steeper than I should have because I was close to it. I was probably about 50 degrees dive. Uh, got my pepper sight on the target released my bombs, and looked up to look at my uh, pull-off area, and there was no place to pull off. I was right into the face of a, a rock cliff on a great big mountain. And I thought, oh, no, there's no way I can turn this airplane and get that nose above the, that mountain. I happened to glance out of my corner of my eye. I saw a little notch, a little, a little saddleback on that mountain. So I pulled toward that saddleback. And I I still think to this day, there were angels under that airplane pushing it up because I went right between two great big trees. I never thought I would make that that pull out. And uh, it just came to my mind just not too long ago, that mission. And Mary said, gee, you never told me about that. And I said, well, you know, in a situation like that, when you're flying several missions a day sometimes... You know, you, you, that happens. You go back, you land, get in another airplane, go off and do it again. But I, I just realized that God put that little saddle back there for me. The scripture that came to mind was Psalm 6820. God is a God of salvation. To him belongs escapes from death. Mm. And I thought way back when God made that mountain, he put that saddle back there for me as an escape from death yeah, the Lord has been good to us. Um, you want me to go in on into our our tra- transition into the kingdom or
1: well, no, I like that because uh I think along the way, even in retrospect, all of us can look at the goodness of God, can't we? because there are times when we thought He wasn't with us, but we look at moments like that and we realize that He really was giving us those moments to give us that sense of his presence. And even in the future to look back and see he was with us along the way.
2: Yeah, he's been, he's been faithful. You've probably heard of the movie. We were soldiers that Mel Gibson uh, starred in uh, the battle of the Ladrang Valley. I was there then, and we flew missions for three days in support of that, that engagement. So it was quite a year of flying combat in Vietnam. And then of course, a total of 24 years flying jet fighters. So it was quite a career That uh, prior to my uh, service in the mission in the mission world.
1: I don't know a whole lot about planes, but I lived in a lot of naval air stations. And my father and stepfather were, both were Vietnam veterans. And so there's a lot of things that I know many of men like you and others that served, things that maybe you hadn't shared, like these stories that you remembered, and because you you did your job, you loved your country, and you served your country, you know, with the best that you knew, knew how, and 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 yet today we see so many of those things you serve for unraveling, and we see the foundations that are shattering in our country. How does that make you feel, as far as a person who's given so much of your life? And I know that. In the Lord, you give a sense of purpose and hope even beyond the circumstances. But on behalf of a lot of veterans that have given so much, even previously to Vietnam War and even since then, that there must be something that you sense uh, in some regard of being um, not disappointed, but Uh, You begin to become unsettled because you think of all those who have given themselves into serving this country. How how do you how does it make you feel and how do you sense that other Vietnam veterans as well as veterans of other wars uh, may feel?
2: While I was flying in Vietnam, I was not aware of the anti-Vietnam sentiment uh, that was going on in the country. And then when we when I came back, our uh, next assignment was three years in Europe. So again, we were uh, away from that sort of anti war demonstrations that were going on. Uh, We always thought that uh, the reason, one of the outcomes of the war was a kind of uh, holding back the expansion of communism in Asia at that time. Communism was taking over country after country. And I think our involvement in Vietnam slowed that down and, and really did help. But, you know, over the years, I've, I've noticed that there isn't the same level of patriotism in our culture as there was when I was growing up. You know, I grew up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, after the world, great World War II. And there was a great, great amount of patriotism, which has eroded in our culture today. And it, it, it is sad to see.
1: I do sense that there's not the same sense of patriotism from those days as they are now. And you said something very important because you didn't stop communism, but it was a moment where we were able to hold it back who knows how many years. And, and we fast forward today and we see the you know, what we thought after the Berlin Wall came down. And, and we, we thought that all of a sudden that we as America were this great nation of democracy. And yet the implosions happening from within that's allowing the beast, so to speak, the dragon to raise his head with communist China. Russia all of a sudden re-emerging and to the point that we see in many ways the huge influence by Marxism, socialism, communism into our own culture here. And I realize now when what you said that, that if we hadn't have been able to be there during World War II and Vietnam War and and trying to, to stay that pressure or stay that spirit from coming to the rest of the world, where we would have been already by now. But we see the increase today. And it's in some ways, it is very alarming. And I know it's unsettling to so many of us who recognize, and we've been to those countries that uh, operate under extreme dictatorships, uh, socialism, communism, Marxism. And uh, we see so much of that influence in our own country today. And it, it is unsettling. How did you get from that place at that moment where you, you the angels lifted you through those trees to coming to a revelation, you said you went to Europe for three years as well. How did you move and get to the place of getting a revelation of who Christ was in your life?
2: When we were in Europe, we were very close friends with uh, another couple, Chris and Laura Mino. And when we transferred uh, in 1969 to MacDill Air Force Base, I was transferred to the fighter wing as an instructor pilot for a fighter training unit there. And Chris and Laura were transferred to the hospital because he had just had an an aircraft accident and a high-speed ejection that broke a lot of his bones. And he was in the hospital there for orthopedic rehab. And while he was in the hospital, a, a chaplain, a reserve chaplain came by and talked to him for a while and led him to the Lord. So when he did get out of the hospital, he was definitely a changed man. And he began searching for Christian fellowship. This was during the same time as the Jesus revolution, really. When you were interviewing uh, Chuck Gerard the other day, you know, he was part of that Jesus revolution out in California. But but there was something going on in Tampa. It was called, we called it the charismatic revival. And the, the spirit of God was moving, not, not among hippies, but among us. And Chris began Searching for fellowship, and he would drag us to church and to home prayer meetings. I sometimes jokingly say we were drugged into the into the kingdom because he drug us to church and drug us to home meetings and and as a family, there was a time when we were having charismatic conferences in Tampa, and during that time uh we ha- I had the the three children who i'm I'm looking at Mark, Debbie, and Jody they were part of the family we all gave our lives to the Lord at, at during that time, all within uh, a couple of weeks. And it was kind of household salvation. And we kind of grew up in the Lord together. That was when we had been uh, well, ma- married about 12 years. And I still had time in the Air Force to serve and wasn't sure what the Lord was going to do with me. But so we did grow in the Lord. One thing that it, it did instill in us was a great hunger for the Word of God. And we began reading and studying the Word individually and as a family. It was a great time, and it's been really great ever since. After that, with the fourth, the fourth son, child came along, David. He joined the joined the family and the kingdom when he was at a young age. So uh, we've had a great a great walk with our family in the Lord.
1: It Dawned on me that over the years, although we've been in ministry here with our ministry since 1981. But our first official chapter of Somebody Cares outside of Houston was Tampa Bay. So you were, you paved the way for us already. Who would have known that that was our first official chapter after Somebody Cares in Houston and, of course, the other yeah. relationships that we've had. We Go
2: did ahead. work with Dan Bernard quite a bit when he was getting started.
1: That's right. In fact, we saw each other at some of the banquets and some of the outreaches there as well. Mary, I'm going to ask you a question. I know that uh, we're interviewing your husband, Gary. I was uh, noticing on the bio that uh, you all were high school sweethearts.
3: Yes.
1: (laughs) So you got acquainted during high school and where did you guys go to high school at?
3: We went to high school at Parkston High School, which was in a little prairie town in in southeastern South Dakota. Gary uh, grew up on a farm and went to a school in a community nearby that just went through eighth grade. So ninth grade, he was transitioned to the school that I was going to. And that's where we met and dated. Not to my parents' uh, pleasure. We ended up getting married and things worked out after that. They they uh, came to the Lord as well.
1: Isn't it interesting how God has this providential way of connecting pieces that we would think was it was by accident. But really, he and his planning already had these different connections in place. And then all of a sudden, when it happens, you look back and go, oh, God was up to something there. And so look at all these years later and all your children serving the Lord, all your family. That's in large part. And I learned from the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole that the characteristics of the kingdom emanate from the character of the King, first King Jesus, then those that he raises up. And so obviously the fruit of your marriage, the fruit of you two together serving has brought forth great fruit through your children, your children's children, and beyond that serving so many other families and people around the world because of your commitment to each other, to the Lord, and to the calling that God's given you.
3: The precious thing about our salvation experience, when we Shared it with our family members, our siblings. My five siblings came to the Lord just through our testimony. The Lord revealed himself to them. And Gary's three siblings also came to the Lord. And our parents. And his, and his parents. So it was really, it really was household salvation.
1: I was listening to a message this past Palm Sunday at a church after we finished doing our outreach for those who serve on the border. They had mentioned how there's something about first. Those who are the first, those who have paved the way, like a John the Baptist who paved the way the first. And and when you were sharing that, it reminds me of how though the rest of your family may not have known the Lord, but because you took that first step and because you committed to the Lord, it opened up a segue to the scripture that says, You and your household shall be saved. And and I think about my own family. I was the eldest son. And uh, as a result of me making a stand for the Lord, I was the first in the family. I was the first, and and as a result, each one began to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And and so I see that even with you, that you made that commitment to one another, to the Lord, to the calling of God, and and God has been able to add all of your family to the place. Of joining the kingdom of God as well. Getting back to your service as well, and then your transition into the renewal that happened, I know that back in the 70s also, and went actually continued on throughout the 80s. There was a renewal, the charismatic renewal that happened in the Catholic Church, happened in Episcopal churches, happened in Methodist, it happened in 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 ways that no one expected, but it was a commonality of the Holy Spirit moving. That brought a lot of people together crossing racial and denominational and generational lines. People that wouldn't seem to get along were all getting along because of the commonality of the presence of God. I've been talking to friends and people who were part of the Jesus movement, and they said there is uncanny similarities in in the sense of what they sense was happening during that time, during the Jesus Revolution, the the charismatic renewal, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that seem to be percolating right now that are very similar, and they have this sense that God is about to do something. You sense that as well?
2: Well, yes, certainly. When when that revival broke out in Asbury, uh, every, every night we'd go to YouTube and watch the ser- services at Asbury Chapel. Kind of the amazing thing was uh, in 1970, the same thing was happening at Asbury. They had a revival at Asbury in 1970. And, and there's something else that's kind of unexplainable, and I'm not going to attempt to predict why it's that way. But the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 1970, <laughs> and they oh, won it. Wow. they wanted won it this year. So, so
1: wasn't, wasn't there a I, word? I think that, I
2: think some sometimes God does that just to show us that it's Him doing. I it. heard
1: that there was a word by I think it was Bob Jones, the late Bob Jones, or others that said when the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, win the Super Bowl again, that there would be an outpouring of revival. Take those kinds of words and, you know, okay, you put it on the shelf, but then all of a sudden they won, not just once, but twice in the last few years. And uh, and then we see then, of course, what you just said, I didn't see the correlation until just now that Asbury outpouring, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, won the Super Bowl back in 1970. And then we see where it is today. It's like, God is obviously up to something, and I'm encouraged in the midst of all the unravelings and the shakings and the challenges and human and natural crises going on in the world, we're ripe for an awakening in the church and ripe for revival in the land, aren't we?
2: Well, I guess so. You know, in the 1970s and and even after that, the charismatic renewal kind of swept the country and really other countries as well. And we were watching a Christian news channel last night. And they were reporting that at least now this Asbury revival has spread to at least 200 other locations, not only schools, but churches and businesses all around the country. So we're suspecting that God's doing it again and it seems like he's preparing his bride for the soon coming bridegroom. So
1: Amen. And
2: preparing the church for a harvest.
1: The Lord um, has a way of having a scarlet thread in the midst of what seems to be detours, challenges. I remember prior to Asbury happening, there were some things percolating in different campuses where there seemed to be a, like this hunger and this desire for the presence of God. And so out of a, just a happenstance, I got a phone call from one of our partner ministries, Medical Missions International, in the uh, Dr. Stuart Cordemont. Who happens to live in College Station near Texas AM and actually used to teach some there? He said, Doug, our speaker, Tommy Tenney, was unable to make it. And we do this once a month gathering at tent revivals in different churches to get the kind of stir the winds of revival and working with these students here at AM and in the, in the regional areas and, and students and colleges. And he said, so Is there any way you could take his place? And this is at the last minute, thinking, Oh my goodness. I couldn't do two nights, but I said I can do the second night. So I went, and, and sure enough, even though it was raining, even though it was, it was a it was a wet and rainy night, there was quite a few that gathered from these different schools and from AM. There, there You could sense there was something in this next generation saying, look, our hope is not in the institutions that seem to be failing us and imploding. There's something happening. And so I was honored to be there that one night. And then you fast forward, you see Asbury, and all of a sudden, like you said, over 200 campus is now experiencing something where the Lord is showing up, and it's student-led. It's not something that's being forced or to try to make it happen. This is something organic that's happening that's uh, like the Jesus Movement and other outpourings, where it became kind of a spontaneous, organic move of God that is very encouraging to see and to hear about.
2: Well, and it's happening to the younger people, the young generation. And I think our young generation um, are hurting they're wounded in many cases uh, they don't see hope in the future like we did years ago and and God is visiting them and, and healing them and and restoring them to his kingdom and restoring their hope in their future ministering to the young young people and not not leaving the older ones out. I want I want to be a part of it. You know, me too. <laughs> Seems to be starting among the young people, doesn't
1: it? I always tell all of our young friends, say, look, we were young one time, too. So don't leave us on this side of the river. Take us with you. you know, <laughs> yeah. We can be there for wisdom, encouragement. You know, they're going to come a time you're going to need need that. Oh, they said, come along. We'll make sure you don't leave us out here. Take us with you. So I yeah. do believe that we're going to see a multi generational. Outpouring of the presence of God, uh, and sometimes it comes through difficult times and through challenges. But it gets our, our attention. We get back to our first love, and then we see a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit that that brings people into the kingdom and transforms lives. It, transitioning, because here you are looking at your bio, knowing you're part of your story. You are a very brilliant man. Your family that you've raised in the Lord. At the same time, this calling to help a friend that was a mentor and also started GALCOM. How did you transition into that? And then, of course, did you have any idea that it was going to become the organization, this nonprofit that is as huge as it is today?
2: Actually, no. The man that started it is Harold Kent. And he it was his home meeting that we started going to way back in the 70s. He and Joanne were having a home fellowship. And about the time I was getting out of the Air Force, he had gotten this A word from the Lord and really an assignment to start Galcom International, to start sending solar-powered, fixed-tuned radios to the mission field to those that are oral learners. And there's a really, in the unreached part of the world, a large percentage of them are oral learners. They prefer to learn by oral means rather than by reading. And in a lot of cases, even non-literate people and so when I got out of the Air Force, uh, he asked me what I was going to do. And I, I didn't really know. I had offers from a couple of colleges to, to teach. But uh, he said, well, could you help me with GALCOM? And I said, well, okay. So at that time, it was basically a, a checkbook and a, a tablet sheet with about 30 names on it. So I had to wind up building an international uh, ministry with that, with that beginning. 501c3 public charity. And so I began working. Um uh, very often kids that I I I stepped out of a jet fighter into a spare bedroom with my desk facing a wall and sat there at a desk for a number of years trying to get Galcom off the ground. And it but it was it was the grace of the Lord. It was an assignment that the Lord gave me, and, and I knew I knew it was from Him. As I'm thinking back on it, when I came to the Lord, I had only about 12 years in the Air Force, and I thought, you know, I'll bet God's going to call me out and send me to Africa or something. And, you know, I wasn't really looking forward to that, but I knew whatever the Lord had me do, I would have to do. And I was reading in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 7, about 20, where it says, abide in the calling wherein thou art called. And when I read that scripture, I thought, oh, okay, I guess it's okay to stay here in the Air Force until he calls me out. Well, it got to be about 29 years, and I was planning to retire at 30 anyway. And I thought, well, I guess the Lord forgot he never called me out. And Mary and I were skiing at a ski area in in Western Virginia. And I see this sign on the lift station that said, Colonel Nelson report." you have a message at the ski office. So we went over there and it was a message from the, the Pentagon, Colonel Goodrich, saying uh, you've been selected for retirement next August. And he said, if you have any questions, uh, you know, make an appointment and come come up and see me. And I said, well, that sounds pretty clear. I don't have any questions. <laughs> so actually, the Lord did call me out. You know, it was because that's when he needed me to take over uh, and start GALCOM and help Harold out. And it it just kind of confirmed that the Lord said, just stay where you are until I call you out. And he did. He called me out. And it was kind of a confirmation that this was an assignment from the Lord that he had for me to do. So
1: I worked
2: for a number of years.
1: Well, I like what you said. It was an assignment from the Lord because a friend of mine who is an Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem uh, says that, uh, in the original Hebrew, there is no word for retirement, it just means, means a different assignment. And so truly for you, although you served 30 years in the Air Force, that that was a retirement in the natural, but really for a reassignment by the Lord for the next uh, decades of your life to impact so many other people in different ways.
2: I've got a lot of Bibles, and I've never found the word retirement in any one of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think he always has a calling and a purpose for us. And uh, I think he'll call us home when our job is done. But until we're finished, he has something for us to do.
1: Now, who would have thought that the development of Galcom, the technology that you've been developing even since the beginning, that I know uh, we've been beneficiaries of that technology and what you've done through our ministry? Even before uh, your daughter, Jody, became our vice president, uh, like I said, in Botswana and other places, of course, Jody and I are involved and the ministries of Somebody Cares are involved in a lot of disaster relief. And so during major hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico, where their communications towers are down, your technology has been a a huge help. In fact, uh, I think we were working with Friendships and others. They were able to take GALCOM and use that as a transmission to a a certain uh, range within so many miles. Of people to get information when all the other communication towers were down so it wasn't just used for sending out a uh, radio a uh, one-way radio into certain areas of the bush it was also used for disasters and of course uh, we've worked together and, and sending quite a few portable full bibles people are asking in the ukraine they were wanting bibles in the midst of all the war that started there with russia and russia's invasion and they were wanting bibles in their language and yet to take full Bibles and send them would be very cumbersome. And yet you were able to help supply uh, and partner with us to get audible Bibles on the size of a cell phone and send them out there. And that went like hotcakes. People were loving it. Pastors or Ukrainian pastors say this is great. because, And even chaplains that were working with the Ukrainian military and others that were loving these Bibles because it was in their language, Ukrainian language, the full Bible on these little apparatuses that you all had developed and partnered with us on. So the technology has progressed over the years. And who would have ever thought that when you started GALCOM that it would have that kind of impact even today?
2: You talked about working down at the border. We've recently um, been aware of a a large group of Haitian refugees that are in Mexico and Reynosa trying to, waiting to get into the United States. I don't remember how many, about 6,000. So we've started sending uh, Haitian Creole uh, solar-powered audio scriptures down to them and distributing them in in Reynoso. I I see Stacy on one of the panels here. Uh, Her and Tom are running GALCOM now. And Tom is down there now in Reynoso distributing some of the audio Bibles in Creole to them. Yeah, God continues to use uh, our, our audio tools. We've, uh, I think, two or three years ago, we we reached over a million audio audio um, radio uh, solar powered radios, and I think over two or three million audio Bibles. Of course, now we can put the audio Bible inside the radio. There's an opportunity for um, to have a radio tuned to a Christian radio station and also the audio Bible embedded in the radio. So they can have a choice to either listen to the radio or or listen to the audio Bible.
1: It's amazing what we can do with the technology that God provides, but also the infrastructure that you all established all those years ago that is going far beyond probably what you could have imagined back then. Speaking of Reynosa and also throughout the, the Rio Grande Valley that we were just in, I was talking to the deputy director for that area for the Border Patrol and said that, you know, people don't necessarily understand, but the dynamic of, of people coming across are from all over the world. And they said that, in fact, they confiscated 380 million tablets of fentanyl that has primarily been coming through from created in China, and that uh, the largest amount of people trying to cross into the country are actually from China and from places in the Middle East as well. So there's a definitely an opportunity in the midst of trying to maneuver through a very volatile and complex time in our country at the same time the church needs to be on that front line with the gospel and planting the seeds of the gospel because we know what we sow today becomes a harvest for the future.
2: No, I think most of these people coming across the border need Jesus.
1: That's a, and that's
2: uh, you know it's it's up to the church to present them with the gospel and church and and mission organizations like somebody cares and Galcom uh, you know, there's a scripture in uh, Psalm 2, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance. Well, he's bringing them here, isn't he? That's um, right. He's bringing uh, people from, I, I think I've heard numbers as high as 190 nations have come across the border. They need to be reached with the gospel. They 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 can be blessed in this country if they can come to know the Lord.
1: Well, that's the thing is that the first line of influence and defense is the gospel. Because as King Josiah, when he had the reform of Josiah 622 BC, and yet Zephaniah really alluded to this that you can change and legislate, which is fine, but unless you deal with the inward uh, issues of the heart or corruption of the heart, there will be no lasting change. But we know the gospel changes hearts and transforms lives. and that's our first line of defense is getting the gospel into the hearts, of people to see transformations. I'm enjoying this time with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I want to move into something that maybe you've kind of talked about a bit, but all of us, even as Christians, because people see this, read your bio, see the successes of your life, what you've done in the Air Force as a teacher in universities, MIT and Boston University, as well as what you've been able to do in your service through the nonprofit and also through Galcom when people see that, it's almost like look at social media today. It's like you only see the good parts, but all of us are met with unexpected detours. We get the wind knocked out of us, and we wonder how are we going to get past this? Have there been any incidences or a particular one that comes to mind, uh, as you encourage leaders will be listening to this podcast, has there been times where you felt like the wind was getting knocked out of you and you just didn't see any way out? Like that time, you didn't find a way you were going to be able to get out, but you found the Lord took you through those trees. Is there other times in your life that you felt like the Lord had to take you through some very unexpected detours? I'm
2: very aware that the, the devil hates, hates Christians and Christian leaders. And his job is to steal, kill and destroy. And he's pretty good at it. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He doesn't have to change his tactics because it always works. But things, you know, things that uh, we've always watched out for was, uh, you know, you, you actually listed, had a pretty good list in, in your book on leadership uh, aware, aware awakening about uh, Christian leaders need to be careful about financial uh, indiscretions, uh, sexual temptations, pride, power struggles, family issues, loss of vision, and so forth. In the military, there, there are quite a few Christians. And there were always other believers in the squadrons I was in, but one particular assignment, uh, we were being persecuted because of our belief and our stand for the Lord. And the and the leadership in the wing didn't didn't like me. So I I missed an opportunity for my first first round of promotion to lieutenant colonel. And then I was sent to Korea to serve a third uh, unaccompanied tour. And while I was in Korea, I was working for a two-star general very demanding man, but he liked me, and so I did get promoted to lieutenant colonel under him, and then when I left, he, he asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, well, I'd like to be an F-16 squadron commander, so he recommended me for an F-16 squadron commander, and I was assigned back to MacDill, where they were just transitioning into the F-16. I think partly because of his recommendation, I was able to get an F-16 squadron and get another promotion. So I wound up, you know, getting uh, promoted to, to full colonel in the Air Force. But there were some struggles there. We, we struggled with this third separation for a year. You know, the kids were in high school. I think Jody was in junior high. Debbie had started college in Utah. We were in Utah, living in Utah. So it was hard on the family, but God redeemed it. It was amazing. And really, because of because of that assignment, we wound up with another son. So, because <laughs> yeah. Mary came to pay me a visit in Korea, we wound up with another son. So, really, the Lord really blessed us in that in that in that time of tri- tribulation and trial. I mentioned the different sh- traps and shortfall. You know, the traps that uh, the devil throws at Christian leaders. You know, there's a lot of casualties uh, because of those traps. Okay. And, you know, you enumerated them so well and covered them so well in your Leadership Awakening book.
1: That brings a good point, because you, under that place of dealing with some pressure and some element of persecution that even kept you from seemingly at the moment from getting promoted, That and yet you're living out your convictions, ultimately, the Lord was the one who still took you to the place of your promotion and I think sometimes as Christians, we even in the workforce, in the workplace, we allow and acquiesce to the compromises or the pressure around us, not realizing that if we stick to our convictions in a godly way, that we will always outlast those who are our persecutors, those who are adversaries, even our adversities, if we will, will truly walk out our personal covenant commitment to the Lord. Do you find that to be true, that in the midst of whatever we go through— we need to have standards that we know are, are uncompromising, that we will, will honor the Lord in those ways, and he will always bring us through those times of adversity.
2: Again, I'm thinking of that song, he, the songs, all my life, he's been so, so faithful, and he is faithful. As long as we continue to walk with him and trust in him, he is faithful. And after my job as a squadron commander, uh, there was a general that liked me, and he wanted me to get promoted to a Brigadier General and he offered me a job at Langley as base commander working for a four-star general so that I could get make another another promote, promotion to Brigadier General. I told him I said well I need to pray with that with my wife to see if that's what the Lord wants me to do and this general was a, was a Christian too so he understood that. So as we prayed I felt like I felt a check in my spirit that I shouldn't take the job. So I called him back the next day. He was very disappointed, and I said, "No, I don't think I'm supposed to take that job." And had I taken it and gotten promoted, I would have then served another five years in the military, in the general officer rank. Turned out, the Lord had another job for me, and that was doing Galcom. Yes. So when I got out, the job the Lord wanted me to do was Galcom. And had had I taken that position the Lord would found, he would have found somebody else to do the job, but I was his choice at that point. So it's just being faithful and, and following his prompting. I, I think that's where the Lord, you know, had me for the next <laughs> dozen or more years, 18 years.
1: So the Lord literally had a different promotion for you, and now you have a lasting legacy because of the foundations you helped lay and even through the sacrifices made and the price paid that you have now have this lasting legacy of, of who knows how many people, remember the old song, thank you for giving to the Lord, that as yeah. you stand before the throne of heaven. How many people you would don't even know by name, maybe don't even know them by face. will be able to say, thank you for taking that promotion from the Lord. And yet we could have justified the other, but yet you knew you had that check in your spirit and you chose to take the promotion for the Lord and move to another situation where you now you've impacted multiples of lives and, of course, raised your family as well and walked in your calling. Then I want to ask Jody if you wanted to make any comments because the stories I listened to from Jody and the family, you and Mary are truly highly regarded and respected and loved. And what a great testament of the Lord in your life that you and Mary have been able to create an environment by which all of your children Truly do have a great respect and regard for you. Jody, would you, if you have any thoughts or questions or even comments, things that maybe uh, your father has not been able to share that you feel like needs to be addressed?
0: Back when he was talking about um, we really grew up together as a family in the Lord, mom and dad were very uh, intentional about bringing us along to the things that they were learning uh in the lord. I mean, we did have family bible study and devotion every night when when dad was home early enough before we went to bed. Um, you know, I remember sitting around the dinner table writing on a big uh poster board diagramming all of the kings of the Old Testament and talking about the good kings and the bad kings and you know, when our family would face a trial, uh a challenge, we would pray together. And we would see God answer and we would talk about that God answered it. So we were not, you know, mom and dad weren't over there living their Christian life and just bringing us kids along. We were living it together. We were seeing God move in our lives together. We were seeing signs and wonders and miracles in our family together, which enabled us to stand strong as a family and, and, you know, to pass those stories on to the next generation. And In Deuteronomy or Numbers, you know, when Moses is instructing the children of Israel in his final days, he says, you know, as you are walking with your children, tell them about the stories of the Lord. Talk about what the Lord has done in your life as you're you're working, as you're walking, as you're sitting at the table. And and that was true of our family, which had made a mark impact on me, even, you know, had a few rebellious years in my teenage years, which mom and dad prayed me through, which I'm very thankful for. But even during that time, I always knew God was God. And I always had boundaries. Even when I was in rebellion, there were always boundaries I would not cross. And I'm very thankful for that Uh, from a young age and seeing them also not cross boundaries, when we were in Utah, we knew that dad was under persecution. I mean, he, you know, he didn't give us all the gory details, but we knew enough, you know, by what they said that he was undergoing persecution and he was standing for righteousness. So that, that builds up the family as a whole to be able to do that in the future. So, you know, I'd say thank you for doing that because uh, it's provided all of us with a legacy of walking with
2: the Lord during that time when we, we were, you know, studying the Bible, reading the Bible together. One time we were reading in Joshua, Joshua 24, 15, where Joshua is instructing the children of Israel. And he says, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites among whom you now live, or, uh, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And at that point, when we read that as a family, I said, we need to a, adopt that as our family verse and a family covenant, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they have all followed that covenant, and the Lord has been faithful to that covenant. Wow. So I think that was a key uh, decision in our lives, just to decide
1: we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, there are very few people as well-deserving for lifetime service acknowledgement. And thank you, uh, Gary and Mary. Not only have you showed success in what you did in your career in the Air Force, serving this country, serving GALCOM and, and helping to establish that and build that up to what it is today, but also obviously the lasting legacy from your children, your children's children, because you laid out foundational principles for lasting success and that so many today when they have cracked foundations, so many insecurities and challenges in the world in which we live, those are so necessary. And another lasting legacy is to know that while in a world where a large majority of people either don't get married or or they're going through divorces and divorces and divorces, and and yet you and Mary have been married, is it 64 years?
2: Yeah. Yeah. In, In just a few days, we'll have our 64th. Yeah.
1: Well, well, thank you for your example in so many ways. And we are so grateful for your service. Thank you for your uh, your example to all of us of what lasting success really is, even through the difficulties that come in life. You've not compromised your convictions and the foundational principles that God gave you and you gave to your family. Gary, would you take a moment now in closing and pray for those who will be listening to the podcast. Pray for others to find that place of consistency and success as uh, leaders in their own right.
2: Yeah, Lord, we just, I just thank you for the opportunity to share uh, our story, Lord, on how, how you have been faithful all my life, all our lives. You've been so faithful, Lord. And I just pray for all those listening, Lord, that they will realize that even though at times it seemed dark, but you are faithful, Lord, and you have, you've been watching over them all these years. And Lord, I just pray for particularly Christian leaders, Lord, that they'll Not succumb to the the temptations of the devil, but just maintain their faith and not lose heart. Lord, uh, sometimes it doesn't look like uh, it's working out all right, but Lord, in the end, you are faithful and you are trustworthy. Lord, I just pray that this word would just uh, penetrate the hearts of those listening, Lord, and that they would realize that we serve a great and mighty God who is faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Amen. Well, Jody, do you have any final comments before we close? A
0: lot of the, uh, the things that I've learned and saw in my parents, i try to live out as they follow Christ. You know, it's that Paul says as follow me as I follow Christ and I do that with them and you know whenever someone asks me who are who are the people that you look up to the most? So I have to say it's it's my mom and dad and I know that I'm truly grateful for that because unfortunately there are many that don't have that example in their natural families, but in their spiritual family they can have that as leaders, really all of us believers. Open up our lives and our hearts to the the harvest that's coming. I will say that when we first became believers, I mean, I was six years old, but we used to go out to Harold and Joanne Kent's house, and they were our spiritual parents., uh, they really guided and led us in our young spiritual walk and became family to us even all these years later. The Kent family and the Nelson family were were we really are family. still, uh, and I would say as this new harvest is coming, God's bringing in a whole, going to bring in a whole new new generation of believers. Those of us who've walked with the Lord need to open our hearts and our lives to them. We've been in a few years where we've all been holed up in our houses, and God's saying it's time to come out.
1: Amen. Well, Gary, Mary, I was thinking, as Jody was sharing, that not only did you have a huge impact as you served as a veteran for our, our nation but also through Galcom. And in large part, you've had a huge influence on Somebody Cares International because you've raised up your daughter, Jodi, to become our vice president. And who would have known that? And in all these years, that uh, the investment that you had in her and in your children has now impacted our ministries on every continent around the world. So thank you again. So thankful that you took the time today to be our guest. We just pray for God's richest blessings over you. And again, we thank you for your life. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your leadership example in, in so many ways, uh, not just in the military, but also through the work you've done in your family, as well as the investments you've made in all of us. So thank you so much for being with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer
0: and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805 422 7348. Please join us again for a Word in Season with Doug Stringer
3: and friends.